Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday. We're podcasting from here in the United States and in Zambia with a goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we read God's Word together verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali, and I are both listening to Through the Bible Podcast and then sharing our thoughts and encouragement with you. From America to Africa and everywhere else, God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you, trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bible, feel free to read along. And if not, no problem, we'll put it all together for you. So let's get started. Today, we are in Ezekiel, and we'll be starting at the 14th chapter, verse 1. And then we're going to go through chapter 16 down to around verse 14. So here we find ourselves in the last few chapters, around chapter 8 through 11. Uh, the presence of God has, uh, it, um, has been leaving Jerusalem, and Ezekiel has been... Uh, sort of prophesying to the captives who are in Babylon. He, he had this vision, and God took him back and showed him all of the things uh, that were going on there that were bad. They were worshiping false idols, turning away, um, they're turning their backs on him. They were uh, they had false idols even in their hearts in secret. You know, God was showing Ezekiel these things, and He was showing Ezekiel to show the people that His presence was leaving them, and that He would He, he would not even judge them in their presence. He would judge them from the border of the country. And so then uh, Ezekiel has been symbolizing what to the people what was going on back there, the famine and the fear and just the um the captivity and the and the fact that more people were gonna be put in exile. So he was he was showing the people, the captives, his fellow captives, what was gonna happen and uh in our last chapter he was even condemning all these false prophets. So now we come to ourselves uh in in uh to verse uh, chapter fourteen verse one and so what's happening now, a bunch of elders come and sit down with him, and uh, they're talking with him. And, you know, McGee says, you know, they must have thought themselves like um, a little bit presumptuous because they're sitting down with him, but Ezekiel knows that their hearts aren't even in the right place. So let's start reading and see what starts happening here. Verse 1, Then certain of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me, and the word of the Lord came to me. And notice every time Ezekiel always tells us that the word of the Lord is speaking, not him speaking. Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? You know, so... Isn't it interesting, you know, people who always want to go to the top, they always want to, you know, hey, you know, listen to me. Everybody wants to sit down and be heard. And that's what these elders are doing. You know, sometimes you call these people brown nosers or just, you know, teacher's pets or things like that. But they want to sit down and they want to be heard above all, you know. But God knows their hearts, even before they want to sit down. Like they're going to sit down to try to give Ezekiel advice. Maybe they were coming to say, you know what, Ezekiel? You've been prophesying back in chapter 13. You've been prophesying against all these false prophets. And you've been telling everybody that, uh, that times are going to get harder and that God is really judging us. But we don't want to hear that, you know. And nobody's listening to you. And maybe you should start listening to us, you know, because our prophets, you know, these false prophets, are saying, 
um, you know, they haven't really burned the city yet, and the temple's still there, and we're here, and we're probably going to be able to go home pretty soon. And uh, Ezekiel's been prophesying that nobody's going home anytime soon. You guys are going to be here for, for 70 years. And uh, so, um, you know, that nobody wants to hear stuff like that. And so these guys are probably sitting down with Ezekiel to try to talk some sense in him. And God's telling Ezekiel, should I let myself be counseled by these guys? Because their false idols are in their hearts. And again, this theme, uh, we see it over and over throughout the Old Testament that and the New Testament. But God wants to have our hearts centered on Him, not our hearts centered on ourselves. And the difference is, is when our hearts are centered on ourselves, it, we become self-centered. We, we are self-centered, and self-centeredness leads to pride, and pride leads to all kind of sin. So God knows our hearts, and God, that's the problem. That's the problem with the nation of Israel. Their hearts were, were self-centered, and they were prideful hearts, and uh, they're set on all kinds of sin, and then their hearts were also hardened by their own pride because your heart only wants now what it wants. And it's hardened to God's way. And that leads to God's presence leaving, and when God's presence leaves, that's certain death. It's not because God's so bad, it's because we're so bad. So, verse 4, Therefore speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord. Okay, he's telling them that this is God speaking, not, not me, Ezekiel. Any one of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and yet comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with a multitude of his idols. In other words, God's saying, you know, if, if you have idols in your heart, if your heart's not centered on me, and you come to, to the prophet like you're going to say something, I'm going to answer you as if you have a multitude of idols, okay? It's going to be even worse for you, okay? Because you're coming to me with a false pretense. You're coming to me not truthful because I already know your heart, and... um so if you have sin in your heart, if your heart's not centered on me, if it's centered on yourself, if you're self-centered and you come to me, if you come before me as if everything's okay, I'm going to look at you as if you're just full of wickedness, okay? And this rings true to us today. God doesn't want us to go around to, you know, to try to be seen at church or to go around and do a lot of religious things or go around and do a lot of things to win the favor of other people when our heart is full of our own pride, is full of our own self-centeredness, is full of our own sin. God says, I already know your heart. And so what a powerful picture through this for us today. So what does God say? Even though all he's, you know, through Ezekiel, he's condemning everybody right now. What does God do then? Verse 6, therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord. Again, it's another thus says the Lord. Repent and turn away from your idols and turn away your faces from all your abominations. Now I'm going to read the next few verses quickly and talk about this too because it's really interesting. Verse 7, for any one of the house of Israel or of the of strangers who sojourn in Israel, who separates himself from me, taking his idols into his heart and putting the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and yet comes to the prophet to consult me through him, I, the Lord, will answer him myself. So in other words, if any of these people, who and notice the verbiage here, who separates himself from me, Okay, by taking idols into his heart. So in other words, when we, when we take our hearts off God, it's not God leaving us, it's we're removing ourselves from him. In other words, he says, who separates himself from me, 
So the more and more we take our eyes off God, we are separating ourselves. We're doing it to ourselves. This is not Him coming down hard on us. We are separating ourselves from God. And when we do that, God tries over and over and over to get us to see that being separate from God is certain death. But that's that's the metaphor here. That's the picture here. Verse 8, And I will set my face against that man. So in other words, if we separate ourselves from God, God will eventually, if we don't repent, he will cut him off. You will cut us off. You know, he, his presence his presence will leave us. If we continue to separate ourselves from him, the punishment for us is being separated. Okay? The punishment fits the crime. We continue to put false idols in our hearts or take our hearts off of him. That's like separating ourselves from him. And then his punishment to us is to separate himself from us, to give us what's in our heart. And that's the only way we'll learn or anyone else around us will learn. So verse 8, he says, I will set my face against that man. I will make him a sign and a byword and cut him off from the midst of my people. And you shall know that I am the Lord. That's the only way that anybody's going to learn. Verse 9, and if the prophet is deceived and speaks a word, I, the Lord, have deceived that prophet, and I will stretch out my hand against him and will destroy him from the midst of my people Israel, and they shall bear their punishment. The punishment of the prophet and the punishment of the inquirer shall be alike, that the house of Israel no, no more, may no more go astray from me, nor defile themselves any more with all their transgressions, but that they may be my people, and I may be their God, declares the Lord God. So in other words, punishment's going to fit the crime. Now we come down to verse 12. And the word of the Lord came to me, son of man. So in other words, he's telling him again, the word of the, this is the, Lord, the word of the Lord is speaking, not me, not, not Ezekiel. When a land sins against me by acting faithlessly, and I stretch out my hand against it, and break its supply of bread, and send famine upon it, and cut off, from it, man and beast, even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Jacob, were in it, they would deliver but their own lives by their righteousness, declares the Lord. So he is saying here that even Jerusalem, he's talking about Jerusalem, he's talking about judging Jerusalem, and he's saying Jerusalem is so wicked so sinful, so prideful, so self-centered, so cold, so calloused, so unteachable, so utterly unusable at this point, that even if the holiest men I can come up with, Noah, Daniel, and Jacob, were in Jerusalem, it wouldn't help because no one would even believe these men. I can send prophets. I can even send these men. These men... The actions of these men would not cause anyone to repent. Even these men could not help save any anyone. Not one person they could save. The only person that these men could save would be their own lives by their own righteousness. What a terrible judgment at this point. God's saying, there's nobody savable. I know their hearts. And there's no one that's going to repent because I already know their hearts are already separate from me. And then he says, verse 17, Or if I bring a sword upon the land and say, Let a sword pass through the land and I cut off it from it, man and beast. Though these three men were in it as I live, declares the Lord, they would deliver neither sons nor daughters, but they alone would be delivered. Okay, so in other words, and then even before that in verse 15, if I cause wild beasts to pass through the land and they ravage it, and it can be made so desolate that no one may pass through because of the beast, even if these three men were in it, as I live, declares the Lord, they would deliver neither sons nor daughters. They would be delivered, but the land would be desolate. 
So then he goes down to verse 19. Or if I send pestilence into the land and pour out my wrath upon it with blood to cut it off from man and beast, even if Noah, Daniel, and Jacob were in it. As I live, declares the Lord, they would deliver neither son nor daughter. They would deliver but their own lives. Okay? He's saying there's not, not even these men could deliver anyone, not even members of their own family. It's so wicked. So then he throws down another sort of metaphor on Jerusalem as a vine. Remember how Jesus said in chapter, uh, in John chapter uh, 15, verse 1 and 2, Jesus was saying, I am the vine. He says in, in John chapter 15, verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So this was Jesus using a parable of the vine, of the vineyard. But look even before this. Ezekiel is using Jerusalem as a vine, but it's a useless vine. And the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, how does the wood of the vine surpass any wood, the vine branch that is among the trees of the forest? He's saying, it's kind of a rhetorical question. It's a negative. He's saying, does, it, does the wood of the vine have use for anything? And the answer is, of course, no. You can't use it for anything. He says, verse 3, is wood taken from it to make anything? Do people take a peg from it to hang any vessel on it? You know, No. I mean, think about a bunch of grapes that you get from the grocery store. What do you do after you pick all the grapes off and eat the grapes? What do you do with that, that little vine, that little piece of wood there? It's not good for anything. It's not good for hanging anything. You can't make a, anything out of it. You can't hang anything on it. Verse 4, Behold, it is given to the fire for fuel. That's about the only usefulness you got from it, you know, of the, of the stems of the grape is to burn them for fuel. When the fire has consumed both ends of it and the middle of it is charred, it is, is it useful for anything? He's saying no. Behold, when it was whole, it was used for nothing. How much less when the fire has consumed it? Therefore, verse 6, Thus says the Lord, Like the wood of the vine among the trees of the forest which I have given to the fire for fuel, so I have given up the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I have set my face against them. Okay, and then he says, Though they escape from the fire, the fire shall yet consume them. And you will know that I am the Lord when I set my face against them. And I will make the land desolate, and they will have acted faithlessly, declares the Lord God. So in other words, God's saying, this wood of the vine is good for nothing. It's a useless vine. And the parable of the vine is, you know, when Jesus uses this parable, he says, I am the true vine. So in other words, it's Jerusalem was the vine, But Jesus says that vine wasn't useful for anything. It doesn't produce fruit. And the only useful thing of a vine is the wood of the vine is to be burnt in the fire. Or even after it makes a little fruit, what fruit it does have, it doesn't make any more fruit after you've, after you've eaten it. So Israel is like the vine, but it's been producing bad grapes, so it's a worthless vine. And so Jesus says, I'm the only true vine. And so um, a vine that, a vineyard that produces bad fruit is really the only thing you can do with it is burn it. And so um, just like this parable of this vine, McGee points out, and I think it's so important that just like us today, we're a part of the vine now. And just like this part of this vine, we have one job. Just like this wood only has one job, it's only useful for one thing. 
that's bearing fruit. The vine, uh, the wood of the vine, you can't really use it for anything else. You can't make uh, a chair or a table out of it. You can't you can't make a picture frame out of it. It's it's not useful to hang anything on the wall with. You can't make anything out of this wood. It's the worst wood of all. But that's like us. We only have one use, and that's to serve God, and that's to produce fruit. And if we're not producing fruit, if we're not if we're not sharing the gospel or or um proclaiming the word of God like he wants us to, are are we bearing fruit? Are we any better than this vineyard? And then you have to ask yourself, why are we not bearing fruit? Why are we not like producing good fruit if we're not bearing fruit? And if we say we're not bearing fruit, um, maybe it's because our hearts aren't centered on Christ. Maybe we want to think that our hearts are centered on Christ, but maybe truly, truly we're not centered on Christ enough. You know, maybe we're only centered enough to feel good about ourselves and to let other people feel good about ourselves. But maybe we're not centered on Christ enough to actually produce the fruit. And isn't that a terrible thing to think about? It's a sobering thing to think about. It's a convicting thing to think about. We have a purpose to bear fruit. And the the vine is known by the fruit that it produces. And if you're producing fruit, your heart must be centered on Christ. If you're not producing fruit, your heart must not be centered on Christ. Totally centered. So this parable of what the vine is useful for, the wood is useful for, and then we're sort of like the vine. We have one use. And um, and then McGee makes this third point here is that not everyone has the privilege to hear the Word of God like we hear the Word of God. Not everybody has a Bible. Not everybody understands the gospel message. But once you understand the gospel message, once you have the gospel message, once you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, once you have the righteousness that comes from Christ living inside of you, you have the presence of God with you, and this presence of God is not to be taken lightly like these elders took it lightly. We have to be centered on Christ. We have to be centered on God. We have a responsibility to bear fruit. We have a responsibility to be grafted into the living vineyard to Jesus Christ. We're, um, we're now the vine of the true vine. We're a graft into the true vine. And the vineyard, the vine of this vineyard, only has one purpose. The wood only has one purpose, and that's to bear fruit. And if, a, and if the vine is not bearing fruit, it has no other purpose. It's only useful to, you know, to be fuel for the fire. So that's kind of like what we are. That's our role. That's how we fit in God's picture. And so we have that responsibility to bear fruit. We really don't have any other role. Isn't that an interesting uh, and convicting uh, passage? That little short chapter of the useless vine. And as that contrasts with Jesus, the only true vine. Now, we'll come to chapter 16. Again, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abomination. So again, he is now prophesying once again against Jerusalem. It will not be spared. It is a useless vine. And now, a parable of Jerusalem we started off last chapter as a useless vine. Now we're looking at Jerusalem as a faithless bride. Okay? Now these people could understand these parables. That's, that's another thing to think about. Why is he using these parables? Because people could understand it. 
They could understand what it's like to have a, a vineyard that doesn't produce anything. They could get that. They could understand what a faithless bride's going to look like. The men would understand how terrible that would be. The women would understand how terrible that would be. Verse six. So let's look. Verse 6. Now this is a long parable. This chapter 16, as, I'm, as my study Bible is telling me, this goes on. It's like an extended parable or an extended metaphor. So we're just now getting into it. But let's wet our whistle a little bit as... Uh, to understand um, what we're getting ready to look at. This is uh, probably going to be really interesting. Again, the word of the Lord came to me. This is verse 1, chapter 16. So again, Ezekiel, right off the bat, says, This is not me talking, folks. This is the word of the Lord. Okay? So the word of the Lord came to me. Make known to Jerusalem her abominations and say, Thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem. So in other words, he's saying, Look, this is God talking to you guys, and I am telling you through Ezekiel, I am talking directly to you. Your your origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. Now these Ammonites and Hittites uh, apparently... Um, were predating when King David took over the region and established, you know, uh, Jerusalem. These were these were the original uh, tribes of the Canaanite people who lived there. So, um, so uh, he's sort of going back to the to how they were born. You know, your father and your mother, as as if Jerusalem is a baby. You know. Your father and your mother, an Amorite and a Hittite. And as for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. No, I pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you, but you were cast out on the open field, for you were abhorred on the day you were born. Okay, so this is a, a really harsh um, metaphor that starts out, you know, Jerusalem, you're a city that was born like an unwanted pregnancy, basically is what it's saying. You're a baby who's an illegitimate birth from an Amorite father and a Hittite mother. And, you know, so you were born in sin. It's kind of a, a sort of an analogy to being born in sin. And again, God goes back to saying, you know, you know, even from the time of Adam and Eve, you know, sin was in the world. Um, this is, you know, my promised land to you, but don't forget, you were born right out of sin. And just like an unwanted baby, uh, you're you know, when the baby's born and the you know baby comes out, placenta comes out, you know, normally they cut the cord. They cut the cord, but no, this was such an unwanted pregnancy, no one even cut the cord to separate the baby from the placenta. No one washed the baby, you know, baby's still covered in blood, you know, and uh, no one rubbed you down with salt um, or wrapped you in swaddling clothes. Now, maybe rubbing with salt was to sort of you know, take some of the germs off the skin. Not really sure about that. But I think it was a custom. Um, but in any event, no one did these things or put you in swaddling clothes. No one had pity on you or compassion. They just, you were abandoned. You were abhorred on the first day you were born. Terrible, terrible picture of a beginning for a child. Verse 6, And when I passed by, you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you, in your blood, live. I said to you, in your blood, live. He repeats it. And I made you flourish like a plant of the field, and you grew up and became tall. So in other words, God's sort of saying, as that's how you got born. You were an unwanted baby, left and abandoned. And when I saw you, I was the one who had pity on you. And I was the one who said, you can live. Otherwise, Jerusalem was just a bunch of, uh, it was just a, sort of a city that was born from different tribes 
and neither one of these tribes was very godly to start with. But it was God's presence that came by. Otherwise, Jerusalem was like a little baby ready to die, being abandoned. And that's how fragile we are without God's presence in our lives. We're like a, a child, an infant baby born in sin, not even cut from the cord, that vulnerable, that abandoned. And when God's presence comes into our lives, it's like that. It's just that valuable to that baby. And that baby doesn't even understand or can fathom how close they are to certain death just from abandonment and exposure and nakedness and vulnerability. But when God's presence comes into our lives, it's just like that. And we can even understand that today. And maybe they could too. That's the value of the presence of the Lord in your life. Otherwise, you're doomed to all the vulnerabilities of a small child like that. And what's the first thing God says in compassion is to live. And He washed us with water. That's like the cleansing that comes to us from our own blood, that our own sin representing sin in our life, and we uh, are washed clean. And then Israel, uh, Jerusalem grows and becomes tall. And um, we'll drop, uh, drop down to verse 8. So in other words, the, the analogy so far is Israel's growing up or Jerusalem's growing up and becoming more like a, an adolescent youth now from a child, uh, but still naked and vulnerable. Verse 8, When I passed uh, by you again and saw you, behold, you were of age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness, and I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord, and you became mine. And then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. So another analogy to the blood that we have in our lives um, representing things that we needed to be clean from. Now, this, this sort of blood has a metaphor of, of, of needing to be washed uh, away um, and sort of representing the, the sin, you know, being blood, being born as a child, but also the, the, the menstrual blood from someone who's ready to, to, um, to marry or to be married, um, that, that uncleanliness there, God, you know, washes us so that that metaphor is, it is now meaning that the person is now clean or that sense of being clean and anointing with oil. Verse 10, I clothe you also with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine feather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk and I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and chains on your neck and a chain on your neck. And I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver and your clothing was of fine linen, linen and silk of embroidered cloth you ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. Verse 14. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect. Through the splendor that I had bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. Okay? So this picture now of this, this little child growing up, God continues to take care of with His presence. And um, God allows this child to become beautiful and respected among the nations. This is sort of this analogy metaphor to Jerusalem as sort of this abandoned child, now um, child ready for marriage, uh, coming of age, and... Just beautiful for all the nations to see. But not anything that the child did. It was what God did. God's presence for the child. So we'll see what happens with this analogy next time as we continue our study into this fascinating book of Ezekiel. And, I, and if you're like me, you, everywhere you turn in this book, you just see lessons for us to learn today.
So for me to all of you, God bless you. I'll see you next time. And keep your hearts centered on Christ. Now, I'll turn the rest of the podcast over to my co-host in Zambia, Matali. Matali, I hope you're doing great. So take it away, and I can't wait to listen to what you have to say today. God bless you all. I'll see you tomorrow. Hello. So today's teaching is coming from Ezekiel chapter 14, beginning at verse 1 all the way to chapter 16, verse 1 to verse 14. So here in this section, we see the prophecy against the idolatry of the elders and, you know, the certain destruction of Jerusalem. So this chapter is divided into two major divisions and both open with the word of the Lord came to unto me saying. So Ezekiel, when he gives his prophecies, he is speaking the words of the Lord. He's just not speaking, you know, on his own. So in verse 2 all the way to verse 12 of chapter 14 of Ezekiel, the first section, there is a call to the elders to repent and to turn to God. So both in the New Testament and the Old Testament, repentance is God's message to his people. And verse 1 of chapter 14 of Ezekiel reads, Now some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me. So, you know, these were elders who came to him, you know, with this piousness and pretended that they wanted to actually listen to the prophet and to serve the Lord. So, you know, you can, you can imagine these are, you know, people who actually believe that they know more than Ezekiel. They have been preaching for a long time and, you know, they're full of knowledge and, you know, with their huge books and, you know, they sat, they went into um, the temple and sat and wanted to actually hear um, Ezekiel preach and they were, you know, pretending to do it genuinely. So scripture goes on to read in verse two says, and the word of the Lord came to me saying, verse three reads, son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts and put before them that which causes them to stumble into iniquity. Should I let myself be inquired of at or by them? So, you know, these men had put you know, had, had set up idols in their hearts. So they didn't have, you know, the physical idols where, you know, they, they, you actually see it and put it up and, and worship it. They didn't make those idols. So they, you know, they could come up and tell Ezekiel that, you know, whatever you're preaching about, you know, the idol worship and all, we don't do that because we don't have any of these idols made up today. Uh, you, you know, made up like physical idols that you can actually see. And today... We have people in the church, you know, they keep toying and playing with sin. You know, um, like the example Dr. J.P. McGee gave, Samson. Um, he believed, you know, that his power was in his hair, but the power actually came from the Holy Spirit. And, um, you know, he idolized that and, and believed that, and he kept on toying and toying with sin. And people think, you know, they can get by with it. Judgment is actually inevitable. The judgment of God. Yes, our God is a God of love, but our God is a holy God who demands, you know, holiness, righteousness, and he is a just God. And these people, you know, we have people who actually go through the form of religion, but have the idol in their hearts. And they continue to actually pretend, and they pretend to you know, want to hear um, the word of God. They sit in the front pews of church. They're early and they, um, they, they actually, um, they're contributing members of the church. And, and, and this is what these elders did. They pretended to want to hear Ezekiel's message when they actually didn't want to hear it at all. Because Ezekiel, he was a square. He wasn't a, you know, a circle going round and round in circles and trying to, um, you know, make these people feel good about themselves. 
No, he was just hitting the nail on its, on its head. So scripture goes on to read in verse 4, Therefore, speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Everyone of the house of Israel who sets up his idol in his heart and puts before him what causes him to stumble with iniquity and then comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him who comes according to the multitudes of his idols. So God says, I will judge you accordingly. So God was going to judge them accordingly. And, you know, the punishment should fit the crime. So God was going to judge them according to the multitudes of the idols they actually had, according to what was causing them to stumble their iniquities. So depending on how many things they had put before God, that's how God was actually going to judge them. So the punishment was going to fit the crime. So dropping down to scripture, sorry, um, verse 5 reads that I may seize the house of Israel by the heart because they are all estranged from me by their idols. Verse 6 goes on to read, therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, repent Turn away from your idols and turn your face away from all your abominations. So Ezekiel here speaks to them of what they should do according to the word of the Lord. So he called them out that, you know, they were all hypocrites. And, you know, in, in the book of Matthew, God had actually also called out, you know, these rabbis and called them hypocrites. And, you know, they were phonies, they were fake as, you know, they had idols they had sin in their hearts so ezekiel just called them out and told them to repent and today there is people who go to church and you know they go through all the rituals and um but they have sin in their hearts you know they 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 sit there and they go through the form of religion but they they deny the power then they still want to live in sin and you know they listen to god's word and they you know, they, they learn and they live, uh, they, they, they show that, um, you know, they're good people, but they still want to live in sin. And the thing that's condemned, you know, outwards is what they would actually like to do. And, you know, God is gracious and um, he gives us an opportunity to actually go to him he's a patient god and this is what he did for this nation he this is what he did for jerusalem he had a lot of patience and waited for them to turn to him but they didn't and judgment is eminent and he judged these people so i'll drop down to verse 12 and here again ezekiel says the word of the lord came to me again saying so Ezekiel is putting out the point that it's actually God's word that is he's actually speaking the words of God and um, you know he's making it clear to Jerusalem that um, you know Jerusalem will be judged so verse 13 goes on to read son of man when a land sins against me my persistent by persistent and faithfulness, I will stretch out my hand against it. I will cut off its supply of bread, send famine on it, and cut off man and beast from it. So God says he intends to judge Jerusalem that has continuously rebelled against him. So God gave them, you know, an opportunity to actually repent. He gave them so many chances, and they didn't. They went on sinning and sinning. And, you know, the end result was judgment. Verse 14 goes on to read, sorry, yeah, verse 14 of chapter 14 goes on to read, even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, Job, were in it, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness, says the Lord God. So here God says if Noah was in that city, they still wouldn't listen to him because even in his day, you know, the people in Noah's day didn't actually listen to him. So even if Noah was 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 in this in that in in Jerusalem, they wouldn't listen to him, and you know, Daniel, they still wouldn't listen to Daniel, and they knew about Daniel. Daniel was was one of the captives who was taken um, to Babylon, and 
even a pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar, actually could listen to him. And these people, the captives, knew Daniel was a prophet of God. He was a man of God, and they still didn't listen to him. And Job went through a lot. And if he was in that city today, oh, at that particular time, not today, sorry, at that particular time, they wouldn't listen to him either. So they would actually deliver their own righteousness as they wouldn't deliver the city. So scripture goes on to read in verse 17 says, Or if I bring a sword on that land and say, Sword, go through the land and cut off men and beasts from it. So here, God will bring Nebuchadnezzar in and he will destroy the city. This is what God is saying. So judge, certain judgment has actually now reached. So God was judging the city. So I'll drop down to verse 20 and it reads, Even though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, says the Lord God, they would deliver neither son nor daughter. They would deliver only themselves by their righteousness. So here, even you know, even now, Noah couldn't um, save that particular city. That's what God is saying, like even at that particular present time. Noah wouldn't be able to deliver that city. They would deliver only their own souls for their righteousness. So Daniel saved, you know, a couple of empires. But if he was in that city, Jerusalem, he couldn't help them out at all. And the reason God got Daniel out of Jerusalem is his own people couldn't hear him. But, you know, an old pagan king, that's Nebuchadnezzar, was actually going to listen to him and make him the prime minister and that's what happened and God's gonna let his word actually go out today to people who actually listen to him you know God's you know you can have the message of God going out in the church and people are sitting and they're not listening and trust me God's word is actually going to go out to people who actually listen to it you know those people who haven't had the opportunity to hear it those people who absorb the word of God and live by it and God's word is going out today radio right now I am listening to Dr. J.B. McGee who recorded this many many years ago and he's no more and the word of God has actually reached me and it's it's still going out there so now we move on to chapter 15 and in chapter 15 we have the parable of the vine that wouldn't bear fruit so one of the figures used for the nation Israel is you know it was a it was a vine and we can find this in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 5, which reads, Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it so he expected it to bring forth good um sorry so he ex where am i so he expected it to bring forth good grapes but it brought forth wild grapes and now O inhabitants of jerusalem and men of judah judge please between me and my vi vineyards what more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it. Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? So here, it's um, Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the vine that is being talked about here. And Ezekiel makes, you know, an application. So um, I'll read scripture. From verse 1 it says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, how is it the wood of a vine better than any other wood? The vine branch, which is among the trees of the forest, is wood taken from it to make any object? Or can men make a peg from it to hang any vessel on? Instead, it is thrown into the fire for fuel and the fire devours both ends of it, and its middle is burnt. Is it useful for any work? So here the Lord 
Jesus used the parable as well about the vineyard and he had said Israel was no longer a vine. So he um, he had said, I am the genuine vine. And we find this in the book of John, chapter 5. It says, uh, verse 1, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So here the Lord Jesus had actually talked about being the true vine. So what is the purpose of a vine? Its purpose is to bear fruit. That it's, um, and that's it. And um, it does not, it's not used for like anything else because it's just not good. Uh, it's only good for bearing fruit. And if it doesn't bear fruit, um, you cut it off and make a fire with it. So in John 15, Jesus um, said if it won't bear fruit as a branch or a vine, he will remove it and he will remove you from the place of fruit bearing. So you don't lose your salvation. It's not salvation that's been talked about. You're just removed from that place of fruit bearing and God sets them aside. So if you're not bearing fruit in a particular position that God has um, bestowed onto you, like you actually cut off and removed and placed aside so that, you know, somebody else can actually be bestowed that particular position so that they can bear fruit. So these people were not doing much. And the Lord burnt Jerusalem because they were not doing anything. They were not bearing fruit. And these people were to represent God. So these were God's people. They received God's message. They knew the word of God. And today, if you are a Christian, you and I have you know, that great responsibility to actually bear fruit because we have the privilege of hearing the word of God. There's people out there who, you know, in the darkest corner of the world that you've never heard of, that have never heard of the word of God. And God wants us to bear fruit today, to send the message out. This radio broadcast through the Bible is bearing fruit because the word of God is actually going out there. So they're bearing fruit. So now we move to chapter 16. And here we have a parable of an orphan that has been abandoned and that is dirty and that's filthy. And um, scripture reads, um, I'll begin reading at verse 1 of chapter 16. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying so Ezekiel is making it a point to know that this is actually the word of the Lord it's not his own words so verse 2 goes on to read um, son of man caused Jerusalem to know her abominations so here you know the little orphan is Jerusalem and you know the filthy child that was actually just thrown out is you know the city Jerusalem Verse 3 goes on to read and say, thus says the Lord God of Jerusalem, your birth and your nativity are from the land of Canaan. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. So here, you know, this does not speak of the origin of Israel and is not speaking of, you know, Abraham and Sarah. Here, the prophet is speaking of the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was an Amorite. Sorry, Jerusalem was an Amorite. Sorry, an Amorite city. That was um, the history of it, and we can find this in Genesis chapter fifteen, verse sixteen. Let me just quickly turn there, and um, it scripture reads, but. In the fourth generation, they shall return here from the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So here, the city, Jerusalem, um, you know, it's, um, it's, you know, the, 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 here it's, uh, was also a Hittite city, um, because, you know the generation. It's 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 um, the father was an Amorite and the mother was a Hittite, and um, so that was the nativity. That was where the birth of um, the city Jerusalem came from. So verse four goes on to read: As for your nativity 
on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed in water or cleanse to clean no were you washed in water to cleanse you, you were not rubbed with salt or wrapped in swaddling cloths. So here, you know, they were just you know, this is a nation, they were just thrown out, they were not swaddled or cleansed. Um, and they were just like thrown out. They were filthy and they were dirty. So scripture goes on to read. I'll start at verse 6. It says, And when I passed you by and you saw and saw you struggling in your own blood, I saw to you in your blood. Sorry, I said to you in your Let me just read that again. And said, as the scripture reads, And when I passed you by, and saw you struggling in your own blood, I said to you, in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you, in your blood, live. I made you thrive like a plant in the field, and you grew matured and became very beautiful. Your breasts were formed, your hair grew, but you were naked and bare. Verse 8 goes on to read, when I pass you by, when I pass by you again, and looked upon you, indeed, your time was the time of love so i spread my wings over you and covered your nakedness yes i swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you and you became mine says the lord god then i washed you in water yes i thoroughly washed off your blood and i anointed you with oil i clothed you in embroidered cloth and gave you sandals and Bad your skin, I clothed you with fine linen and covered you with silk. Verse 11 goes on to read, I adorned you with ornaments, put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. Verse 12, and I put a jewel in your nose, in your nose, earrings on your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. So here, you know, God said, this is what he did to the, the nation due to, to to the city jerusalem so he blessed that city so you know in as much as they had a back bad background which we can relate to today we have a bad background you know we you know adam and eve became sinners and we were born in iniquity and in sin just like the nation the, the city jerusalem and you know we we have been saved by God's grace and we were dead in trespasses and he said live like he said to the city Jerusalem and he said we must be born again and he made a covenant that if we trust in Christ he will save you and me and he anointed the child of God today with the Holy Spirit and we are covered with righteousness um, the righteousness of Christ that, um, you know, we can stand in the presence of God today because we, you know, without, um, you know, the blood of Christ, we, we just, you know, like filthy rags. We can't stand in the presence of God. And, you know, he removed the blood guilt um, from us through, um, you know, the, 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 the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb, the Lamb of the world. And Jerusalem, you know, but through all that, um, if you look at the condition of us today, you know, the, 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 the world today, it's in a sad condition. We have, um, you know, children, of genuine children of God, but, you know, um, there is still a lot to be done. Um, we, there is still fruit to be born. There is, the word of God still has to go there to multitudes of people. And, you know, Despite God doing all that for Jerusalem, Jerusalem still became a harlot. And today we have Christians selling themselves cheap for worldly things. You know, the devil can actually buy humanity. Like, you know, Dr. J.V. McGee said, can buy humanity by the bunch like bananas. So, you know, God today is calling us to be true to him and to listen to him, to listen to the word of God, to meditate upon the word of God, because God is gracious and he saved us and we can stand in his presence today through the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us on that cross. And, 
you know, offered himself as a blood sacrifice for our sins. So yeah, this is today's teaching. Thank you all for listening and God bless and have a pleasant day. Bye-bye.